Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is the second special episode addressing ministry and leadership in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm coming to you today from uh, Colorado Springs, home of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. And uh, we'll use that slightly humorous TV trivia tidbit to say a very serious thank you to all the folks out there in the medical field who are continuing to do what they do, the great work that they do in spite of the risk that they're taking right now. We have great appreciation for these folks. I'm Terry, and I'm Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, the Director of Multiplication in Eastern PA District of the Alliance and the Northeast Regional Coordinator for Church Planting. And also with us is uh, our trusty producer who does a great job getting us ready and making us sound good, Caitlin, the laugh track, Guyverson. Caitlin, good to have you along. Glad to be here. It's not that hard to make you sound good, Terry. So well, it's a I, fun wow, thing. Look at that compliment. do appreciate I, that. I can't say the same thing for Alan, but it's yeah. easy for you, Terry. <laughs> I do understand. Wow. Understand. <laughs> he said that in the intro. He did. She did. Speaking the truth in yeah, life. I love you, Caitlin. You're so special. <laughs> Alan, I love you too, my friend. <laughs> so did you know out there in uh, Equipping You podcast land that 85% of Alliance churches are under 200 in average attendance? And in fact, 65% of our churches are actually uh, under 100 in uh, average weekly attendance. So uh, while we're very thankful for our larger churches, uh, by and large, we're a denomination of smaller churches and have deep appreciation for those churches that are providing faithful gospel presence day after day, week after week in their communities, hopefully vital and effective in their ministry, uh, but they're not what we would think of necessarily as big churches and certainly not mega churches that Uh, are so prominent in our uh, U.S. landscape in this generation. So in light of that, Alan, that we're a denomination of uh, small churches, tell us about uh, Carl Vader as our guest today. Actually, I'm super excited to have Carl on the podcast. Uh, He's he's really known as the small church guy, uh, nearly 40 years of ministry experience, I think. And he's currently the pastor of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California, and just has a a heart for helping uh, small church pastors. And I know this is going to be a really practical episode. I agree with you. So uh, out there in the listening world, why don't you get in the car, drive down to your local coffee uh, shop, do drive-through, takeout, get a cup of coffee, find a good parking spot, lean the seat of your car back, sit back, relax, Here we go. Hey, well, welcome to the podcast today, Carl. We're really thankful you could join us. Uh, Good to be with you. Hey, well, uh, you know, pretty much everywhere I go, uh, honestly, I hear small church pastors talk about the encouragement you give them through your writing, through conferences. And we actually have two of your books on our National Alliance website listed as resources. How did you end up being the small church guy that... uh, people recognize? 
well, I failed at trying to be a big church guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have something in common. Yeah, yeah. I, I share that feeling too. <laughs> uh, that is that is that is sadly accurate. However. Um, yeah, I've been in ministry uh, almost 40 years now, the last 27 in my current church, and all of my churches have been small churches, but the, the one that we're in now uh, is in Orange County, California, and we're on a major road, so we have tens of thousands of cars pass by our door every day, and, you know, we're, so I moved here 27 years ago, and I'm, uh, you know, a half a, an hour to a 45-minute drive away from Crystal Cathedral, the original Calvary Chapel, the original Vineyard, Saddleback Church, Church on the Way, Angelus Temple, uh, you know, you name it. It's, so, so this is not just a place where there are big churches. This is a place where big movements begin and tons of people around. So it's a small building, a small church, but on a major freeway, on, on, on a major freeway, on a major street. And I thought, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to get this thing moving because we want to reach people for Jesus. And that means the church is going to get bigger. And no matter what I did, it just didn't happen. I mean, we had some growth. We started with, you know, a dozen people or so, 30 on a big Sunday. And now we run in the 150s, 160s. But it never got to the point where it had the kind of growth that, quite frankly, seemed like the church growth books promised. And I say seemed like because I always want to put in there the possibility that I simply misread things. But my understanding of the church growth books was, if you do these things, the numbers will follow. And if the numbers don't follow, you must have done something wrong. And and for years I did them. And for years, we just simply didn't get the numbers. So I had to look around and go, okay, there must be something else going on here. Our church is staying small. And as I talk to other pastors, there are far more pastors out there who are frustrated that the numbers aren't coming along, then there are people getting up and giving testimonies. We hear the testimonies from the stages of they tried this thing and it had explosive growth, but sitting in the audience for every one of them on stage is a hundred frustrated pastors for whom it did not seem to work. Mm. So I, I decided I, I got to find out what's going on. If, if most churches are small, let me find out why. And then as I discovered, uh, started figuring out why I started understanding, hey, you can be small and still be an effective church. So let's figure out how to do small church well. So that's the very long story in a very short period of time. Yeah, I love it. So uh, I agree with what Alan said uh, earlier in terms of uh, how our small church pastors uh, resonate with your ministry. I, uh, Alan and I were together in Eastern PA a number of years, and I can recall guys that would uh, tolerate attending our district conference, but they really loved attending your conference. <laughs> and sometimes those were... Uh, almost back to back. So, uh, so your ministry was, uh, impactful and, uh, appreciated. So you introduced us a little bit to your ministry there in, uh, Orange County, uh, California, interested in which municipality you're in and just unpack kind of what your church looks like, uh, what kind of things, what kind of ministries you have. And, uh, you, you talk about a church being effective, but small, what's that look like in your current ministry situation. Sure. Yeah, the specific town we're in is Fountain Valley, which is, we're, we're famous for being next to, <laughs> next to Huntington, <laughs> next to Costa Mesa, next to Anaheim. Uh, but we're one of those, you know, little towns in the middle of all that. It's actually a nice place uh, because it's got all of the opportunities of the big city, but it really, our town has a very specific small town feel to it. 
So, um, you know, we know the mayor in town and the city council members and the police officers and the police chief. You know, there's there's that small town feel, but you've got access to all the big city stuff, which is really a a, a nice mix of things. Um, So, yeah, when we started looking around and realizing, okay, we're a small church. Well, first of all, physically, we're a small church. We have less than an acre of land. Uh, and we have a very small sanctuary. So if you come on Sunday morning and want to sit in the back row, there's only going to be four rows in front of you. And, and, and that's on a Sunday where we need to put out the fifth row. So it, it's a small room, and it's the only room we've got. Then we've got a handful of really small classrooms that you can't like have an adult meeting in. They're just too small for that. So our main sanctuary, which is small, uh, we set it up and tear it down eight to ten times in an average week. Because it's our youth hall, it's our kids hall, it's where we have a couple preschool classrooms during the week. So we use every square inch. We, we've just, it took a few years for me to help everybody who works there from the preschool class, preschool teachers to the Sunday school teachers to the youth leaders to understand none of these spaces are your space exclusively. Everybody is borrowing space from somebody else and everybody needs to honor the others who are in this space and not get precious about it um, because we're sharing this space and we're going to use it uh, you know, as many times as we can for the glory of God. So uh, we, we've had to figure out how to do that well in a very, very small space. Um, so, so that was part of the health of our church was uh, very early on after I began to discover, okay, how do we do small church well? I started realizing um, we are never going to be able to do all the ministry God is calling us to do in this tiny little building. So we have to figure out how to do ministry from the church and not just in the church. And that has really changed the whole feel of the way we do ministry. We are no longer concerned uh, primarily about getting more people in the building. We are concerned primarily about taking our ministry to others. And if they end up in the building, that's great. If they end up in somebody else's building on a Sunday morning after they give their life to Jesus, that's good too, as long as the kingdom is growing. So one of the big hallmarks of a healthy small church is that we're concerned with ministry and we're not concerned with who gets the credit. Mm. And, and we're going to realize it. that there, as a small church, there are going to be one or two things we do well and all the rest of it that we don't do well enough to even attempt. So one of the big things that small churches have to do that we've had to learn is we've had to narrow down our field of expertise to go, we're only going to do these couple of things, and we're going to trust that those other things that God needs to put in people's lives, God knows how to bring other churches along to get those things done. Helpful, that's a hard helpful. decision to make. But that's what we had to do. Sorry, go ahead. That's beautiful stuff. I know when our church was, uh, you know, I was kind of feeling those where was why aren't we getting to the next level kind of feelings back then we made a conscious decision to stop focusing on the service uh on sunday to focus on serving uh off sunday and uh, it changed the whole mentality of our church and was really helpful so i appreciate uh, that resonates with me and i appreciate you sharing that your change and focus there so um obviously in the middle of all that I'm assuming out of the uh, soil of your frustration or anything grew this desire to minister to small church pastors. So tell us about the ministry uh, that you have in helping small churches and pastors. Yeah, I, first of all, it began out of this whole season of frustration. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a writer and communicator. So in order to process my feelings, I've got to get them either said or written. And uh, nobody wanted to hear what I had to say, so I had to write this stuff down. <laughs> and I, I ended up writing so much stuff, it was almost a book's worth. And it, it actually sat for six months. I thought, oh, I just got off that off my chest. That's good. 
And then about six months later, I thought, you know, I need to go back and read what I wrote. And because I often get as much benefit in the reflection later on it as I do in the writing of it to begin with. And as I'm sitting on the couch reading it um, over a couple of days because it was a lot of stuff, at about the third or fourth time that I went, oh, that's good, my wife stopped me and went, you realize you're reading your own words, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but, I've never but, done that ever. Yeah, no, I know, me right? neither. Me neither. <laughs> It, but it's, it's been six months, and so it feels like I'm reading somebody else's stuff, and it, it's resonating with me, and I thought if it's resonating that deeply with me, it wasn't that it was so brilliant, it was that it just simply resonated, you know, it, it, it felt right. And I thought if it's resonating with me, maybe it will with other small church pastors, so, um, but I didn't want to write a book, because I thought, you know, in fact, my wife said, you need to turn this into a book. And I said, I'm not going to write a book. Nobody's going to read a book by, by me. I'm some small church pastor. I don't even have a social media presence. Nobody knows who I am. She said, well, who else is going to write a book about small churches other than a small church pastor? And how many famous ones do you know? Okay. <laughs> Good question. Yeah, right? So, so I wrote the book just to you know, get it off my chest and to get her out of my hair. Um, <laughs> uh and it started to sell. So the first book, The Grasshopper Myth, it just started to sell. I'm self-published. I didn't even call a publisher because nobody's interested in small church books. They just don't sell. And by an author, nobody had heard of. So I self-published. I put out a blog and the thing started selling like crazy. I'm like, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. Because again, it was resonating with so many people. 90% of the churches in the world are under 200 people. And what, what, what strikes me as odd, even from a marketing standpoint, and I'm not doing this for marketing, but even if you were crass enough simply to look at this from a marketing standpoint, how are we not writing more books and producing more material for 90% of pastors in the world? Mm. For 90% of churches? That's a massive marketplace, at least, yeah. that we're simply ignoring or thinking, oh, this will cover that too. But it doesn't. They need things that are small church specific. So the more I kept writing it and talking about it and being on podcasts and so on, the more it was resonating, often because there was just nobody else speaking this way into that space from a small church experience. And so that, that's where that happened. So I, I started getting requests to write for other people, to speak at other places, to appear on podcasts and radio shows and so on. And, and, and that has gotten to the point where it's really become a real passion of mine and Here's another uh, sign of a healthy church. People say, you know, how can you tell if a church is healthy if it's small? That depends on the church, quite frankly, in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that we measure the health of our church is all of this that I do, there's literally not been a single person in our church who has come to me and even hinted that when I'm gone to travel to speak at another conference or when I'm spending my time writing another book for other churches, there's not even a hint from our congregation that this is time away from them. They see it completely as an extension of the ministry of our congregation to bless the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. And, and yeah, it, it's a blessing to me, and I think it's a sign of health that, uh, boy, I, I know a lot of small church pastors out there, boy, that, that, that would be a, a real dream come true, but that's where the Lord has put us. We're grateful for it. Yeah, good stuff, Carl. And uh, I found out we're above average because only 85% of our churches in the Christian Missionary Alliance are below 200. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, 5% victory today. So, hey, uh, on everybody's mind right now, obviously, is the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I wonder, as you think about small churches, what are some of the hardest adjustments 
uh, small churches are having to make during this time? Well, there's a bunch, and let me speak to to two of them. To to one thing that I'm noticing immediately, and then to um, a plan that I'm putting together to help both in the immediate and the long term from this. First of all, the the most obvious example of it was immediately as soon as our church buildings had to be closed, everybody jumped online. Everybody, all of a sudden, Zoom stock went up, and everybody's talking about how to put your service online. And as as is typical with this, most of the information is coming from a big church perspective because that's who's got the ability and the time and the staffing to be able to put these resources out for people. But what I discovered really quickly was uh, what I call the weight of technology. For the smaller church that wasn't already online, they now have to figure out how to put things online. And the average small church pastor doesn't have a tech team to go to. So the average small church pastor is trying to figure out how do I turn my laptop or my phone into a camera? If I do so, how do I record from it? After I've recorded from it, where do I put it? After I've put it there, how do I tell people how to get to it? (laughs) And that pastor has to do all of it while learning how to do it themselves. And a lot of us just aren't that tech savvy. And it's not because we're small church pastors and so we're stupid about tech. I know a lot of really big church pastors who have no idea how to even turn their computer on. In fact, a couple of years ago, I actually heard a mega church pastor that if I mentioned the name, you would know them, who said, I've literally never turned a computer on. I don't know how to do it. But their church is a, a leading technological powerhouse for ministries. Why? Because he's got a tech team that does it. So... God bless him. He doesn't need to know how because he's got a tech team. So that megachurch pastor who doesn't know how to live stream his service is not stupid. And he doesn't even appear to be stupid because the tech team can do it. But the typical small church pastor who doesn't know how, just like the megachurch pastor doesn't either, doesn't have a tech team to do it for him. So he looks like he's stupid. He's not stupid. That's just not his tech is not his thing, but it's all on his shoulders. So technology becomes this weight. Now I've got to figure out how to upload something to YouTube. Right. So there's so there's that initial challenge. So my advice to small church pastors is on those initial challenges of things like tech that we're trying to figure out right now, figure out the basics, figure out how to turn your phone sideways, folks, sideways, always sideways, landscape, (laughs) not portrait. That's rules number one, two, and three about recording video with your phone. Sideways. Oops, there we go. Sideways, not not long. Um, And then when you put it up, don't worry about all of the lighting and all of it. Make make sure they can hear you. Make sure they can see you. And then don't worry about the rest of it. Spend most of your time doing the low-tech stuff of making phone calls and making sure that everybody's taken care of in your congregation. Don't over don't over concern yourself with the weight of technology that will just drive you crazy. And it's really not, people don't go to small churches because they're really high tech. That's not why they go to your church anyway. So relax on that. So that's my first piece of advice on quick adaptation is do the adaptation quickly. Don't worry about the details and continue to do old school ministry over the phone as much as you can. Secondly, with this going on, I felt a real concern and a real compassion to figure out how to get tools into small church pastors' hands as much as possible on two things. First, how to adapt immediately. But second, and I think even bigger and certainly longer term, will be how are we going to recover once this immediate crisis is over? Because the recovery from this, especially for smaller churches, for the smaller churches that survive, 
and a bunch won't, uh, sadly, but that's let's acknowledge that, that reality. For the small churches that survive, the recovery from this is going to take months and years. It's going to be a long, long recovery process. So I'm actually putting together a tool. I'm calling it the Small Church Pastor Adapt and Recover Kit. Happens to have the acronym SPARK. So Small Church Pastor Adapt and Recover Kit. So it's on my website, carlbaders.com. And what I'm doing right now is I'm assembling a strategic task force of ministries that are producing material either specifically for the small church or that can be adapted readily to the small church, the material will all either be free or steeply discounted. So for instance, Moody has taken my last two books and is offering them for 99 cents on ebook that you can put on your Kindle. So we because we just want to get the material into their hands. So we are creating this page within a week uh, or so by, by mid to late April uh, it'll be up and running. It'll be a page within a page. We will have content that we'll be putting there more and more of it daily. So how do we do, how do we recover, you know, financially? How do we figure out how to get back into missions again? How do we, you know, all of the different things as we're negotiating them and as I discover them, as I find other resources, we'll be loading that page up. So it's carlvaders.com backslash spark. You can go there now. It's basically just a landing page saying, here's what's coming. But it's going to be a major clearinghouse for material for small church pastors to adapt to the current situation and over the long term to recover and get back to health again. So that's Carl with a K, not Carl with a C. Good. And Good yes. And uh, give us, we'll put this all in the show notes, but uh, give us a couple of book titles, uh, Carl. Yeah, your... uh, my last two, again, 99 cents on ebook is what they're currently, if you go to Moody or if you go to the Spark page, so Carl Vader's, that's Carl with a K, V-A-T-E-R-S dot com backslash spark. Uh, you'll see both of the most recent two books there, 100 Days to a Healthier Church and Small Church Essentials, are both there and available in ebook format for 99 cents from Moody. Moody has also cut the print price down to half price, uh, which barely covers their costs if you want them. And, and 100 Days to a Healthier Church was actually written. It, the last blog post I wrote before this whole pandemic hit was, hey, I've got a new book. <laughs> And then it felt like, I really don't feel like trying to sell a book right now. This would not be appropriate. But as I've had a conversation with a couple of small church pastors, I've realized what I wrote in there without realizing this was coming, of course, I wrote 100 Days to a Healthier Church based on five different times that I've had to do a major reboot of this church, two of which came after a crisis that nearly killed the church. So it's actually written to help a church come out of a time of crisis and rebuild themselves from the ground up. And it's put into a 100-day format so that you've got uh, an urgency to it. You've got uh, steps to it that are very clear. It helps you assess where you are, where you, what your damage is, what your strengths are, what you can work on immediately, how to put together a team, and then how to implement the plan. And it walks you through that in 100 days. So uh, 99 cents. We're not selling. We're not making money on this. We want to put it in people's hands. And then small church essentials is more long-term things about these are the principles that apply to small churches that might be different from what than what you've heard from a big church context. So uh, those those are the two materials that will feature on there. But virtually everything else will either be free or will be steeply steeply discounted, both from what I'm producing and from our strategic partners that we're beginning to work with. Fantastic. Boy, we appreciate that yeah. uh, servant heart there. That makes a big difference. And um, we know that that's going to be key to some recovery for some churches. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, you, you gave some pretty practical, a little bit of technical advice there. But if you were going to sit down one-on-one with a small church pastor right now and just speak heart to heart, what's one thing you'd like to say to them? 
Breathe. <laughs> uh, breathe from on. Yeah, actually, what I'd like to say is uh, it's actually a blog post I just wrote this morning and I'll probably be putting out in the next couple of days. Um, when you're not feeling particularly brave or smart or faith filled, it's hard to think that you've got much to offer in leadership. And in these moments right now, I spend most of my day feeling not very smart or brave or filled with faith. It's just awkward. It's weird. It's nobody's been here before and nobody knows where to go. But there are moments, there are moments when there's a flash of, oh, here's an idea. So here's what I've learned to do over the years, and it applies more now than ever. In the moments when I'm feeling smart or brave or filled with faith, I write down everything that I'm feeling and everything that I'm thinking. So when I'm feeling smart or brave or filled with faith, I write down notes. And then when I'm not feeling smart or brave or filled with faith, I work the list. I, I go back to the list that I made and I look at it and go, okay, I wrote this down when I was feeling smart. I don't think I can do it now, but that requires this meeting to be scheduled or, or, or when I'm feeling smart or brave, I'll write something down and I won't worry. Don't worry about grammar or editing. Just get it on the page while you're feeling inspired. And then later on, when you're not feeling inspired, go back and edit it. When during seasons like this, when the moments of feeling faith filled and feeling smart and feeling brave, when they're fewer, it's more important to leverage them well. When something is rare, it becomes more precious. Yeah. So the moments where I'm feeling courageous, I want to leverage that for the long term. So I, I, put, I, I write it all down. I put it all in a place where I can go back to it later. And then later in the day, when I'm feeling just a little tired and I feel like I, I'm just you know, I don't know what to do next. Well, let's go back to those thoughts that the Lord gave me when I was feeling a little more faith-filled. So Amen. that would be my piece of advice. When you're feeling brave, smart, and filled with faith, write it all down. And when you're not feeling brave, smart, and filled with faith, go back to that list and work the list. Mm, very good. So this next question really is a good question, whether we're in a crisis or not, but we are. So we'll uh, frame it in that uh, way. How can small church pastors uh, Carl, share ministry with their church leaders during this time. I hope that out of times of crisis like this, that we will learn lessons like this that we can carry into the long term. Mm -hmm. There's only one place in the New Testament where the word pastor is mentioned. As pastor-centric as our churches are, we get one mention in the New Testament, Ephesians <laughs> 4. And in that spot, we have to share that, that spotlight with four other ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists. So we get one mention, and we don't even get that spotlight all to ourselves, uh, which tells me, as a pastor, I should be sharing uh, the leadership load with other people who have leadership gifts. And then secondly, the one command we're given in the one place where the word pastor is mentioned in the New Testament is not to do all the work for the church. The one command we're given in that spot is to equip God's people for works of ministry. Mm. That's but well what, said. Yeah, but what we do is we take it all on ourselves. We forget there are other leaders around. There's four other ministry gifts mentioned in that passage. We, we do it all by ourselves. And then we think we're not, we don't do equipping. We just do the work for them. And here's the deal. If you do all the ministry for the people in your church, they'll let you. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, Right? right? It's and true. They'll get burned out and they'll get lazy. And then we'll get mad at them for being lazy. Well, we created the environment. So right now, when people are saying, how can we help? What can we do? Where can we go? How can we step up? Give them those opportunities. Don't say, oh, no, I'm your pastor. I'll do it for you. No, 
utilize their gifts, bring the team together, uh, get, and then after this crisis is over, don't take it back on your shoulders again. Keep that team going and mobilized and moving. Use this opportunity of people saying, how can I help? Put them to work and then keep them together working that way. I, I think this gives us an opportunity to be far more biblical in our leadership if we'll just take the opportunity. Whew, that's good stuff and very well said. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, obviously, one of the things we care about and is deep in our heart, uh, because it's on Christ's heart, uh, is the opportunity to see people come in, come to faith in Christ during this time. So h- how do you think this crisis is an opportunity for the gospel? Well, uh, well, more people are, quote unquote, attending church now than ever before. At least the viewership numbers are up on our live streams. <laughs> uh, I'm under I'm under no delusion that you know, a page view equals something close to church attendance. Because if you, if you watch it for three seconds, that counts as a page view. Or if you watch the entire thing while you're cooking dinner, that counts as a page view as well. I understand that. So let's not, let's not go crazy there. However, I, we, I am hearing regular reports from our church and from churches all over the world that people are now seeking answers during this time of fear. And they're seeking answers from the church people who would, who would have ignored us before or just gone about their business and not, re, not realized their need are now realizing their need. That's one of the things that crisis does is it focuses, focuses us and it helps us to recognize a need that already was there, but now it becomes more obvious. So our need of Jesus has always been there, but now people are recognizing it more obviously than they did before. And so they're seeking out a church. And now it's easier to attend a church than ever before. So uh, pastors, I want you to, first of all, as you do your live stream, do it to comfort your own congregation, yes, but recognize that there is a far higher likelihood of more unchurched people watching you speak now than have ever watched you speak on a Sunday morning in your church. Do not let the opportunity go by. Speak to them. Speak words of hope and comfort to them. Give them an opportunity to to come to Christ and to salvation. Give them ways to follow up. Hey, if you gave your life to Christ or if you're interested in learning more about faith, here's my email address or here's the website where you can get more information. Give them a way to follow up and continue the discipleship process. This uh, this now is an on-ramp. This, this opportunity to speak to more people than can fit in your building is an, is an important on-ramp to bring people into faith, but an on-ramp is not the end game. So the fact that we've got more people watching is not the point. The only thing that's the point is how well will we use that now to bring people to faith and then to disciple them afterwards. Yeah, good. <clears throat> so we're kind of in this... Uh age of grace right now, uh, thinking of a small picture, uh, age of grace, because, uh, you know, if we're trying to do online and we've never done it before, people are probably going to be more understanding and gracious with us than, than uh, they would be in, in uh, normal times. So as you, as you think about experimenting with new ways of, of doing ministry uh, in this uh, time we're living in, what, what recommendations would you make to small churches, uh, small church pastors as you speak to them? Uh, give yourself grace. We are harder on ourselves than others are. I mean, it's an old cliche. We are our toughest critics. 
actually, when you get online, I've discovered that's not true at all. I am not my harshest critic by a long shot. There's people out there way better at criticizing me than I am at criticizing. <laughs> just, just want to throw that. I've had, a few, I've had a few of those. <laughs> I won't name names right now. Critic. Oh no, those guys are really good at it. Yeah. Um, but no, we, we, we tend to do that. We tend to be very quick with offering grace to others and uh, often beating ourselves up. And I found out uh, typically pastors and, and typically small church pastors, that's really where we are. So get off your own case. Give yourself a chance to breathe for a while. It's okay if you don't feel like you have answers right now. Nobody really truly does except for Jesus himself. So lean more on him. Uh, while yes, we want to lead and we want to provide answers and we want to be there for our people, here's the thing, Pastor, it's more important. We need you healthy more than we need your church attendance numbers to be high. Good word. Uh, healthy pastors matter Amen. and prioritize that now. Yourself and your family, make sure you are healthy first. And then you can minister out of a place of health rather than out of a place of burnout. So don't feel like you are shortchanging others by making sure that you stay healthy and taking whatever time is necessary to do that. That's good. Appreciate that. So let's kind of wrap it up here. You know, you hinted a little earlier about some things that could last beyond this uh, pandemic. Um, if you were to guess, what new ways of ministry do you think will emerge uh, during this time that will be helpful after the pandemic is over? Well, the first and most obvious is going to be the technical stuff. So pastors, if you are having to figure out how to get your service online now, uh, keep recording it after this is over and everybody's back in the building. Because um, there, one, statistics have shown that no, that does not decrease your in-person attendance. Uh, it's like way back uh, when TV first came out, everybody was concerned nobody would go to the movies anymore. And it turned out that it just increased people's uh, hunger and thirst for watching entertainment on the screen. So they actually went to the movies more. So when you put your service online, you ha you give a front door to a person who says, I'm interested in going to a church, but before I do it, I'm going to check it out online because that's what I do with everything. Right. So yeah. before they check out your church, they will go walk into your church building. They will check it out online. And if you're not online, it is less likely that they'll ever come in your church door. So if we've learned how to do the technology, continue to do that. Secondly, as we are having to rely on others, because maybe as a pastor, pastors, many of you are like me. I'm 60. Many, In fact, I'm probably on the younger end now of lead pastors, uh, because lead pastors tend to be an older generation. If you are stuck at home because of your age or because of some other reason why you can't now be the person who picks up groceries and brings them to the people in need, but somebody younger than you in the congregation or a neighbor who doesn't even go to your church who's saying, hey, how can I help the people in your congregation? If they're going to do that, don't stop using them after this is done. Continue to use them after this is done. We, we hinted at that already, but that is a huge lesson to come out of this. And then uh, thirdly, I would say um, prepare uh, for, for the next time, and especially financially. Too many of our churches, within a week or two, were either close to collapse or actually collapsing because we've been living week by week financially. I've heard of churches closing already that were not or did not were not in uh, on the verge of closing they weren't oh we're barely going to make it but they turns out they were living week by week financially 
the churches that are strong now and are able to help others are the ones that over the last few years have put a little bit away at a time so that they've, they've got uh, the ability to weather this. So simple but hard things like paying off your mortgage if you have one, putting money in the bank. We should try to have one, then two, then three, and eventually six months worth of uh, of expenses in a bank account ready because this will happen again. Maybe not soon, maybe not even in your lifetime, but probably in your lifetime, something like this will happen again. Maybe not a pandemic, you know, but maybe a natural disaster that's only in your region, an earthquake hits, an earthquake, a hurricane comes, something like that happens, and you're going to need to have reserves. Learn the lessons from this. The churches without reserves, some of them are closing their doors permanently. And those with reserves are not only able to keep open, but bless others. Mm. Keeping a reserve is not a lack of faith. It is good stewardship. Well, these are very helpful uh, words, Carl. I really appreciate your passion for uh, smaller churches and given some good counsel and and, uh, advice today. We appreciate you taking the time in the midst of a busy schedule to be with us on Equipping You podcast. So uh, may God continue to bless and use uh, your ministry to encourage small church pastors. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to my fellow small church pastors. I love you all. It was great to be with you, Carl. We appreciate it. Well, Carl Vader's uh, gave us some nitty-gritty practical stuff for pastors of small churches, and uh, I think it may even apply to pastors of larger churches. I think you're right. Uh, I like that he said, uh, give yourself some grace during this time, and uh, we need we need to do that, and uh, grateful for all those pastors out there who have ventured on to uh, the internet, into online, uh, uh, doing online services, online messages. And uh, as you're doing that, give yourself some grace. Uh, what'd you like that you heard today, Alan? Well, I mean, there was so much there. I, of course, I appreciate his heart. And I appreciate his encouragement. But I think probably the best thing that I enjoyed was his, though, just the way he framed Ephesians 4 uh, in our call, you know, and our one time mentioned in the New Testament as pastors uh, were sharing the leadership spotlight with four other leadership people. And also, the only command we're giving there is to equip the saints. Uh, and now's really a perfect time uh, to equip people. Uh, you might have to do it over the phone by, or by video, but you can equip them, send them out, and then kind of debrief them to see how it's going. So it's a great time for equipping. Yeah, ministry is a team sport. Uh, the more people we get involved in ministry, the bigger the impact of our ministry will be. Uh, I didn't get that in the early years of my ministry and, and uh, cheated the people in my church out of the opportunity to, mm. to uh, serve the Lord with their uh, gifts and abilities and talents. Well, Alan, this has got to be a, a great episode for people to share with their small church pastor friends. How can they do that? Oh, man. Well, there's so many ways you can do that. You can actually uh, just share it right through uh, your whatever app you listen to the podcast on. Uh, you can also text it to them, email it to them, send them a link uh, in any way you want, uh, or just pick up the phone and tell them about it. Tell them to search it for themselves because they can do that. But it's going to be worth sharing. And it's at the very least, it's worth sharing for 85% of our pastors to share. So that's a pretty big share radius. It is. If 85% of our pastors listen to this episode, I will be happy. (laughs) Me too. Thanks for listening out there. 
your Why We Do Equipping You podcast. We love doing it, and we really hope it's helpful to you in your ministry and leadership. So uh, join us next time when we resume uh, Season 3 of Equipping You podcast. Until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.